<laughs> Whatever you want, starting from now. Uh, from now. <laughs> uh, <oops>. From now. <laughs> Welcome to Young Artists Podcast. Today I want to present to you Adriana, uh, who delves into the intricate interplay between internal bodily sensations and emotional responses, inviting us to explore the fragility of flesh and our perceptions of the body as both material and immaterial form and formless. I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce our guest, the incredibly talented and thought-provoking artist, Adriana. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Uh, I actually met Adriana on her solo show in London, and I was so impressed by the narrative that uh, she was creating between the sculpture and the painting. And I was so impressed. Can you uh, introduce your artworks and tell about your practice a little bit? Yeah, so I always tend in the past to think about sculpture and painting separately, mm -hmm. just because I did it separately, but then it kind of clicked this year that it's just the same practice, just executed in different forms. Mm -hmm. So it's I tend to really just not only with my practice, I tend to separate the body and I dissect the body in parts and I feel like I do that as well in my paintings and sculptures. I tend to separate it, so a lot of my sculptures have to deal with the physicality and the physical part of the body and abstracting that and rendering that foreign where the paintings are more internal. So there's this contrast um, between the, the inside and the outside and like the duality between both inside and outside painting and sculpture but then it's all encompassed in this like one formless entity where they're both kind of in the liminal state, like the transitional state between blurring the boundaries between the inside and outside. So it's kind of this like fluid transition um, when they are displayed together in the room. It's kind of you like you can't really tell what's inside, what's outside. So it's mm -hmm. kind of this this like this mass of ambiguity in a sense. Yeah, they work yeah. so well together. Like you see, the, I'm really intrigued by uh, how you use these really powerful and colorful uh, tones for mm -hmm. your paintings, but you choose to keep the sculptures dark and colorless in mm -hmm. a sense. Where does this come from? Yeah, I think it's just with sculpture, it's um, kind of just the materiality that gives like this sense of coldness and it's just this material obsession. So I've been working with metal for like seven years and I love metal as material, um, I love the properties, I also love like the metal as like a discourse as like a masculine material and like mm -hmm. what does it mean for a female to be bending and welding and how to make a masculine material sensual in a way. So I kind of want to keep the coldness but in a way I try to always bring in some sense of warmthness into my sculptures but they always read as cold and yeah. I think it's just because I let the properties stay the properties so I'm not painting, I'm not masking it, I'm kind of letting materials and letting then properties of materials create um, signifiers for meaning. So like just to show the materials and then in contrast with the paintings that are a lot more colorful and using pink. So like a lot of my paintings and like some sculptures have like a lot of pink and like I use pink in a way as like a weaponized pink. So trying to make something that's like very discoursely known as gendered and you know like the baby pink and the baby blue is very gendered and it's trying to use that pink as a weaponized pink so it's like changing the cuteness and the quirkiness of pink mm -hmm. but trying to make it somewhat disturbing or disgusting or like yeah, emotional relating to the body yeah and also like when i think about the body i think about my insides like it's all pink you know it's <laughs> yeah. all pink and red so it's kind of just 
reimagining what the body looks like without using anatomy, just purely based on emotion and experience and mm -hmm. trying to, um, yeah, use pink as like a signifier of just the inside and femininity. I really love how you said that these techniques of like welding and working with metal are usually um, related to men. Mm -hmm. I I was thinking about it a lot when I was doing architecture because I was really um, I really loved concrete and this is also something that you never associate women working with yeah. such tough materials. Yeah. So I love that you're challenging these notions and you're not scared to like work with metal. It must be hard though. I mean, at first it was hard. At first I'm like, I really wanted to get into it because I just was fascinated by it. And I saw that it was such a male-dominated field. And I'm like, yeah. hey, I'm going to be the woman in the metal shop. And now it's just like, it's kind of rewarding. Like, even at the RCA, I go into the metal shop. And as a woman, they always are asking, like, oh, do you need any help? And then I start doing what I need. And they're, like, always in purely shock. And then I go, okay, yeah. she knows what she's doing. <laughs> like, we'll leave her alone. And not just, expecting it at all. Yeah, not expecting it at all. So it's just kind of like this sense of, like, gaining power, gaining ownership, not only in the craft, but as mm -hmm. an individual as well. That That's so great. And I'm just wondering, how did you come up with the idea of working with like your insides, with the flesh? It's quite unusual. Yeah. I think it's always like, I've always dealt with um, this, like, I've very, always been fascinated with the idea of like abject, mm -hmm. um, and thinking about the abject internally and um, thinking about like, I always had like a huge sense of disembodiment or like the sense of alienation. So it's like, this idea of like not feeling whole, not feeling completed and just thinking about the body and parts and you know it's like this I always say like I don't have an arm I am an arm type of thing and mm -hmm. so it's just like whenever things are on the inside of you it's you but then the second they're outside of your body you kind of dissociate them you're like oh that's no longer me anymore so it's like just thinking about you know the grossness of the body and this idea of like I don't know, maybe like societal beauties and like the pressures of that is just this kind of like disconnect between the inside and the outside. And I was always just thinking about where is this disconnection coming from and how can I, in a way, make sense of that? Mm -hmm. I, I love it because artists are really often like struggling with finding the inspiration for their works. And you are literally your own inspiration. Like, yeah. There's so much to uncover in the body. <laughs> And like, I love the connection of the sculpture and the painting. And I'm just wondering, like, what was the beginning of your process of working with the body? Was it the paint or was it the sculptures? I think it was the sculpture. So, I, I mean, like most artists, I always start off as drawing and then I went mm -hmm. to painting and then I started sculpting. And um, I always started very figuratively, even in my sculpture practice at undergrad, it was all very figurative and I was always, you know, taking cast of bodies and kind of like taking cast of bodies and rearranging them kind of this like uncanny way and then I kind of moved away from you know casting and direct representation of the body and trying to think more abstract or how can I provoke the body without using directly the, the physical forms of it and I think it was more just um, trying to create more of a visceral response so for me, it's when you look at a, a sculpture of a foot, you see a foot and you're like, okay, that's a foot. Yeah. <laughs> but if you look at something that's like, okay, this is reminding you, this is giving the essence of a foot, I find that something like way more interesting. I feel like with art, it should be, it should be so sub, um, object, subjective and it's just, I want viewers to really like think about different things. I don't want the meaning just to be straight one meaning and just I want people to put themselves into whatever they're seeing and get a hundred different meanings out of it. So it's just really moving away from representation to abstraction just to create 
a wider range of understanding or connecting and yeah I felt like it was even harder so it was more mm-hmm. of a challenge for me but also this idea of like looking at the inside of the body and using inspiration of my own body it's as you're saying a body is endless like the body that's is true, yeah. endless and it's just like abstraction is also another way of endless connections it's like mm-hmm. it's just this ongoing thing that's just like more to uncover more to unravel and more to discover really I feel like you can really go uh, walk in different by your sculptures because for me the most interesting part when I went to your show was the dynamic qualities of the sculptures they were moving mm-hmm. and I feel like this made them even more like real in terms of the connection to the body like just those um colorless cables mm-hmm. going round and round on the floor it was actually so strong for me what was the meaning of like the cable and yeah so i started to use motors and i was just really simply like introduction like introductory to metal just using very basic dc motors and literally super gluing like plumbing tubing onto mm-hmm. them and just thinking about you know the functions of the body internally and like how we don't even think about it like your heart beats you breathe things happen and just unconscious it's your body as a machine essentially and it just happens without you even asking it so i with that sculpture specifically i was thinking about you know when you feel pain guilt or embarrassment or nervousness there's these things that the physical body does in response to emotion where it's like when you're embarrassed i don't know your your stomach might drop or if you're nervous you find these spirals in your stomach so i was trying to create a visual a visual for that in a physical way so um when i attached the motor to the tube it was creating these spirals and then it was also moving really weirdly and it was just people would catch people by surprise so i think i thought of using motors to create more of like a potent more of a visual reaction in the body so either trying to give that feeling a visual or trying to recreate that feeling in a viewer itself and i thought motors was just the most successful way to do it yeah, yeah. definitely it's a great metaphor this like spiraling feeling mm-hmm. of whatever is inside of you and you're trying to push it away but it's coming back and yeah. coming back no i was really impressed by this sculpture Thank you. and you're now uh finishing the ma sculpture mm-hmm. at rca uh, where did you study before i did my undergrad at parsons school of design in new york and i was doing fine arts as my major and then my minor was museum and curatorial studies mm-hmm. um and then just being in new york is just like an insane art hub and just like the city as as cliche as it sounds like the city influences you but it really does you does know? it <laughs> yeah i mean you're constantly looking at shows you're constantly around different artists and different creative fields and it's just yeah it was a great place i think coming from new york and coming to london was just like new york really set me up to come to london in a way yeah do you feel like uh in terms of your sculptures and your paintings was there like a different um response from the audience in new york and in london mm-hmm. i don't know um i feel like it's i get the same response it's really you know it's really hard i feel I think like in terms of masses um and majority I think majority people weirdly prefer the paintings cuz I mm-hmm. think you know they're more colorful they're more I don't know aesthetically pleasing than the sculptures I think sculptures especially my sculptures tend to make people or the general public feel kind of uncomfortable or uneasy yeah. which is what I love about them <laughs> like I'm trying to create discomfort so I'm like yes it's working but um yeah I think a lot of times people tend just to pay- favor painting because you know painting is commodifiable they envision buying it and it's just um it's flat and it's more colorful yeah so I feel like 
I always get that people, you know, want to show my paintings, want to like buy my paintings or like my paintings more, and kind of like sculpture really gets left behind in a mm -hmm. way. So I've been I've been kind of struggling with that recently as well. But yeah, this is such a disparity in the art world. I feel like the paintings always get so much attention, mm -hmm. and like, how does it go with buying? the abstract sculpture like art it's impossible <laughs> it's impossible yeah it's really impossible yeah i mean especially my sculptures they're really weird and like disgusting it's like no one's really gonna put that in their house you know um i would but it's more like i feel like i make sculptures more for the viewing and the experience so maybe yeah. more for like you know the museum setting or more just to be viewed and experienced yeah like are they even to meant to be in the house yeah i mean if you want it sure but it's like yeah they're not really meant to be in the house they're meant to be viewed they're meant to be experienced they're meant to be you know reacted to um with the paintings i'd obviously essentially want the same response but just as an object itself it's just more in the market sense of the art world so how do you navigate that have you managed to like uh, sell your uh, sculpture to some gallery setting or somewhere that it will be displayed or it's mostly the paintings that work that way for you? It's mostly the paintings that work that way for me but um, I wouldn't be opposed to it and I, um, I, I still try so like I still have sculptures and galleries and such but um, just yeah the paintings get more attraction and and that's totally fine. I kind of just let things happen as it goes, you yeah. know, not to force anything. And just because painting get more attraction doesn't mean I paint more, you know, if anything, yes. it's the opposite. <laughs> but um, you yeah. want to challenge that. Exactly. Yeah. Trying to change that in a way. Adriana, I would really love to ask you about your modeling experiences, because I have seen that you did some modeling in the past. So how was it? How did you come to model? Yeah, I mean, I would never say I model or, yeah. I'm, um, or I'm modeling. And actually, it's been like really interesting because it's not only that's my practice, like always been about like this disconnect between the physical and the inside. And I think that comes from just like a place of, you know, like adolescence, young adolescence and like this idea of like beauty standards and norms. And it's always a sense of separation between face and body type of thing. And it's just comes from like, I don't know, maybe a big place of insecurity and um, yeah, with modeling, it's really weird because like I'm not a model, I don't model at mm -hmm. all. But then in New York, I had a lot of friends who were um, makeup artists or you know worked for Mac and were like all in the industry of modeling. Or I had a lot of friends who were models themselves. Yeah. And I just got asked to do a couple projects um, to shoot and to help. So it was really just like helping friends and shooting. And then this one, I think the only modeling job I ever really got was like this Mac like global campaign, mm -hmm. which was huge for me, especially. But it was really funny because their campaign was like real people, so people who weren't, you know, signed or had an like an agent. So it was just yeah. like real people in the world to get mod to model. So um, one of my friends is working at Mac, and they're doing like this color foundation, like matching foundation. And they're like, okay, like if you match the foundation, like they might hire you. So I mm -hmm. went in. They like took a picture of this color of my skin, and it so happened to be a match for one of their foundations. Yeah. And I ended up modeling for Mac for like their global campaign, which was really fun. But it, again, it's just, I think it was this thing that's like, kind of like society has pressured on me as like, oh, like you could do modeling, but there was always this like, very truthfully, like, also this, like this duality of like, yeah, like you have really pretty face, but then like your body doesn't match. So it was mm -hmm. very much of like this constant rejection and, um, literally did not ever make me feel great. And I think that's also really inherent in my work of just like the sense of separation between inside, outside, face and body, um, never feeling kind of whole and complete. So I think that's something I've really experienced as a young adult, early ad adolescence, and um, 
yeah, it's quite quite of a shame, but um, yeah, it's it's been weird. It's it's always like a weird thing to be, you know, asked to model and to always have, you know, rejection thrown at you or, you know, things pointed out that you necessarily know yourself but don't yeah. want other people to point out as well. That's true. So I wouldn't say, I'm not really like a huge fan of modeling, yeah. but again, it's really fun and it pays really well. So we'll see, who knows, maybe in the future. It's, <laughs> yeah, I, I like what you're saying about this, like, never ending story about, like, the judgment of female's body yeah. and like modeling it is such fun but then you got judged only on your looks like everything mm -hmm. about you is like diminished to the way you look like your body yeah. looks your face looks but still like the makeup campaign must mm -hmm. be something like so artistic in a way you know like yeah. the colorful liners or things like yeah. that and it was like even like the makeup campaign again it was like face you know yeah. it wasn't body it was just face just so it was face. like just kind of like like uh strengthening like things i already thought about in the past mm -hmm. which was like you know it's nice to get but it's like, okay like you just want to shoot my face all right yeah. i get it <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and um in terms of like uh people in new york and in london because i feel like when you're in the art world you can really find people from different disciplines that connect together and mm -hmm. can share some interests or some even professional things do you find like the new york scene is a little bit better than london scene in this terms or in terms of the art world yeah the art world and connections and yeah. the friendliness of people uh, honestly, no. I think London is actually so much better for young, inspiring artists. Mm -hmm. I thought I had a really hard time in New York. So in New York, I was not only graduating, but I was working for artists as artist assistants. And these were like big artists like practicing in New York, which was great. I learned a ton. So I think in terms of experience, New York is great because you get to work with artists who are actually big and successful and really learn how to manage a studio and like learn the craft and how to navigate the art world from the inside, which is really great. But then I think as, you know, a young emerging artist, there's not a lot of opportunity or room for you in New York. I feel like in New York, it's like you come already established, you know, you come okay. already successful and then they bring you. I feel like even the small galleries and the Lower East Side, it's like, they want the big names, like no, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, even this whole shame, it's like, it's very shameful because it's just like a small gallery in the Lower East Side will rather like truthfully show an artist who might not have the best craft, but has like 60,000 followers oh. on Instagram and are verified, but then they'll get the show. But then you'll have someone who's like equally or even like more talented or have even more engaging work, but you know, have 300 followers and will never get the spotlight because galleries are just, especially in New York, so interested of like, who's gonna come to private view. And it's all about status, who you are. Mm. It becomes more, I found in New York, it becomes more about who you are as an individual rather than who you are as an artist and your art itself so okay. that was really disappointing and it's really hard to penetrate the art world in new york as just a young inspiring emerging artist where i feel in london they really don't care about your social media status they don't care about who you are they care about mm -hmm. your art and if your art speaks for yourself they want to show your work so as yeah. i've seen even big galleries show artists who have no followers on instagram or don't, don't even have instagram but they really like their craft and they really like their work and i think even now, from what I've been doing in London over the past 10 months, I has been more than I was doing in the seven years of New York. And I think really? as a young artist, the London art scene really like sets you up for success. and More like, welcoming. More welcoming, more opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, once you get to where you want to be, New York might take you off. But I think as a young artist, my advice is London is a great place to 
start. To start. Yeah, just to start. That's great because yeah. I was about to ask you about like the <laughs> advice for young artists. Mm-hmm. So London is a good place to go. Yeah, London's very, and like just advice for young artists is really just you know. Um, as cliche as it sounds, like just never stop working, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I think even even myself, like every artist has constant like doubts, you know, yeah. constant doubts of failure, like moments, periods where it's like, what am I doing? Like, am I ever gonna be an artist? Like, am I wasting my money? Am I wasting my time? And mm-hmm. it's like I think you're just always dealt with doubting, self doubt. I think is like the whole one thing as an artist, and it's just like, just know you're not alone. Like I think yeah. even like really successful artists have that doubt, and it's just. Yeah, don't let that like fear kind of stop you. And it's like I even tell people, it's like, you know, I might not become a successful artist tomorrow, five years, ten years, forty years, or never. But I rather die like knowing that I really tried you did your best, and yeah. you know I I kind of like went for my dream. And even if it never happened, then I won't have regrets. Rather than mm-hmm. doing something and knowing like I never tried. So I think it's just like. Being an artist, I think like the one advice is like just being comfortable with failure. Being comfortable with even like, yeah, failure, never gaining success, and, and just kind of doing it for yourself and not yeah. for anyone else, really. Yeah. I'm really interested. You mentioned that you were doing, you were assisting some artists in New York. Mm-hmm. How did that assisting job looked like, and how did you manage yeah. to get that? So I was assisting um, this really great artist called Tony Mattelli. Mm-hmm. He's an American artist based in Long Island City. And they, he does a lot of, you know, bronze castings. And I was working a lot with like finishing the bronze and, you know, um, making things in wax, dropping them off at the foundry, and just um, it really just prepares you. Like when you see an artist who's so successful, and you see like kind of like the factory of the studio. It's just it's such an inspiration. It's like wow, I want to I want to have the studio one day. I want to be yeah. like that. And it's just just yeah, just like paying attention to the detail and it's just like the perfection of it and just like the demand and. It just really kind of like sets you up and gives you the insights like, okay, like if this is where the future is, do I like it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's it was just really helpful just like, yeah, um, practicing your craft and getting better at that and also just seeing how a successful real life artist navigates the art world and, you know, how many people it takes and just the logistics of that. Yeah, just observing them mm-hmm. and copying whatever you can, like yeah. in a way of, for example, um, how you approach certain topics, exhibitions, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's also possible for painting to do such um, assisting job for painters? Mm, I think, I mean, I've never really assisted a painter, but I think I have friends who have, and it's like, I don't think it's that much of a huge range in terms mm-hmm. of experience, because like a lot of painting is like, you just stretch the canvas or you prime the canvas for them, and like yeah. essentially it's the artist doing the painting or unless you're painting for them, but it, I just think like two-dimensional in the sense of the learning curve is a little more limiting just because yeah. there's only so much you can do with the canvas That's and true. the canvas is the object itself where in sculpture is kind of like all-encompassing and there's all mm. these different stages. But um, I'm sure you could get the same experience. Good yeah. experience. I mean, I think it's just really important. I think if you want to be an artist and you're a young artist, definitely try to get an assisting job because it just shows you, like, you know, how to set up a studio, even like you know, how to just like navigate time in terms of deadlines and it's just like really interesting just to see how a successful artist is practicing and making it work. No, that's great. That's a great advice. I have never done an assisting job, so I feel like I should <laughs> get it's my It's not fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I it's, can imagine it's a hard work. Yeah, it's not fun, but um, it's really rewarding and you know, it's like even at the time it's like, oh, I hate this job, but 
it really sets you up. I'm like, I, even though like it's not fun and it's obviously as an artist, you every artist has this huge ego and it's like, I want to be this, you know? Yeah. Like, and it's like this huge ego and jealousy that plays in the role, but it's just like, even if it's really hard work or really like tough, at the end of the day, like it really does prepare you and it's really important, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess you get such insights that you will never come up with yourself, mm -hmm. like just the experience of another artist. And even just failing, even like as an artist assistant, like the amount of times I messed up, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> failed and like got yelled at and it's just like constant failure, but it's like, you know, it's like, you're only human and it's just like, well, you can fail with them, but that means when it's your turn, you might not fail, yeah. so it's really great, you know. And uh, when you were assisting with like, for example, bronze, mm -hmm. I'm wondering like, bronze metal and this sort of materials they are so heavy like yeah. how do you manage doing that uh difficulty i would come home with like my hands throbbing so oh it was gosh. just like you know power tools but it's just again it's just like proving i'm like okay i feel like you know when i got hired as an arts assistant the first person they hired was a man and then they refused the job and then i was hired as like the second up you know <laughs> i wasn't even the first choice yeah. but then i felt like even more pressure as a woman doing a man's job it's like i really need to do well and i really yeah. can't complain i really have to push and do it and um even when you didn't mess up like i would just like it's just the stories that i were like really funny and it's just like typical woman you know yeah. like which is awful but it happens you know yeah it does it does and for me it's always so interesting thinking about like how the public like the general public perceives artists you mm -hmm. know seeing them on the shows like nicely dressed presenting their works but it's really so much of like getting dirty you know yeah. the craftsmanship the hard work you yeah. know the physical work yeah. sometimes so yeah i uh, think like the whole private viewing and the getting up and dressing up i think like at least for me that's my least favorite part i mm -hmm. hate i hate going to openings like i hate it i think it's so performative it's so fake like it's not like it's just it's part of the job that i have yeah. to do but i really don't like it i honestly i tell my friends all the time like can't wait if i get to a level of success i don't have to show up to my own opening which sounds <laughs> awful. it sounds awful but like it's just so performative and there's just so much pressure it's like you know there's so many hats you have to play it's like not only are you the artist but you're the host and you need to make everyone feel welcomed and it's just like it's just so much pressure and it's just there's so much anxiety around it that's just like I think that's like my least favorite part is doing the mm -hmm. openings. I like, I honestly dread it. Yeah. But um, it's part of the job, you know, you it have to do it. And it's just, yeah, but it's so performative. And it's just, it's like, that's not why you do art, you know? Yeah. And like you said, it's like, I much prefer studio visits, like in my dirty overalls and mm -hmm. pain in my face, you know? I'm like, that's more real, you know? That's, that's real. That's, yeah. that's where you see the artist. It's when you go to an opening, it's, you see the polished side and it's just, yeah. it's very, it's very mechanical. It's like every even what you say. It's like it's rehearsed. It's it becomes like it just becomes so like uns. some so censored and like clean mm -hmm. and cut. It's not. It's not really the real. Yeah. Yeah. It, just getting dirty. That that's the side that everybody should see, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. And um, about your works, like, do you have any of your works that like? It's your favorite? Are you like attached to some of your works? Yeah, there's a. I'm I'm attached to all my works. Really, <laughs> I already have a hard time like giving away my works. You know, like if they get sold, I really have a hard time like saying goodbye. 
And there was this one painting that I considered like my masterpiece painting that I sold to a friend in New York. And I was so sad about giving it away. And now I even still this day regret it. Like, I really wish I had that painting, <laughs> you know? But I think it's just like getting comfortable with just like letting the paintings leave and like letting the work leave. It's a really hard thing, but it's just like if you never let them leave the studio, mm -hmm. they're never going to be seen, yeah. you know? And they'll never be loved and experienced. But um, I think like one of my favorite sculptures right now is one of like the newest ones I've done, which is... Um, kind of like the stacking and layering of like different body part like body parts of um, like abstracted female forms and the middle layer gets pushed with these two motors that kind of mm -hmm. like penetrate through the first layer and then push the second layer to the top and it's this kind of like breathing movement but it's also very violent and also very central at the same time and it's like coded to stop and go at certain times so it's like the um, the sculpture is kind of performing as the artist itself so mm -hmm. it's like the sculpture can perform with the absence of the artist and yeah. it's like you can come into the room be there for 30 seconds and miss you know the essential performance of the sculpture but then you can come to the room and it can just start and you'll hear it and it'll take you by surprise yeah it's again this like visual like reaction of like oh something's happening or something's not happening and it's just kind of like in tune with the body as well and i think it's just yeah i think that's i want to Moving, that sculpture was really moving me and pushing the boundaries of what motors can do and how to create more of like a visual response or something more potent or more violent. And I think it's, um, it was the next step from that spiraling sculpture. And I'm just now looking, I'm like, hey, what else can I do? You know? <laughs> so it's like, it's like what the past always influences what's going to come in yeah. a way. Yeah. Thank you so much no, for uh, coming today and sharing so many interesting and inspiring insights about your work and about navigating career as a young artist. Mm -hmm. I really love the way that you approach your process, the way you engage with materials and obviously what comes out of it. Mm -hmm. And I wish you all the best luck and uh, it's great seeing your works on display. So I hope to see them much more. Me too. <laughs> I also do. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for coming and thank you everybody for listening to Young Artists Podcast. Remember to follow Adriana on her Instagram. We'll link it on Young Artists Podcast Instagram. And see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>